you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 4. As Herb said, we'll be continuing our study in the book and the Gospel of John. John's account, I'm going to move this a little closer. And so in our study so far, we have uh, our summary statement given to us by the author of this gospel. He's, he's, he's written these things so that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in him we would have eternal life. And so that is the purpose. This, this gospel is for Christians of all, of all uh, I guess, levels of maturity, from new, from new believers, people who are skeptical, people who are questioning, people who have been Christians for a long time. It's really rich, but it's also can be super simple to understand. And so um, we are in chapter 4. The context of where we're at right now is this is right after Jesus talks with Nicodemus. So we're right in the middle of like three um, conversations that Jesus has with people. So last or a couple times ago, he talked with Nicodemus, which is like a religious leader a Pharisee of the time, someone who is supposed to know what the scriptures are saying, what the scriptures are teaching. And we see that he actually doesn't quite know as he ought to. And Jesus has that conversation with him in chapter three. We have the famous John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave up his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so that's like the first like long drawn out conversation that Jesus has with someone. And this week we see the second one, which is Jesus and a woman and the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. This is like a, a common story for people who have grown up in Christianity. It's like a famous uh, interaction with Jesus and this woman. And so hopefully as we go through, it'll get clear as to what Jesus is uh, wanting to say here and what John is trying to say here using this story that happened with Jesus and the woman. So I'm going to go ahead and read through this and then I'll pray. Actually, I'll pray before I read through it. And we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. So it's going to be a lot of reading, but I'm going to be just kind of adding comments here and there throughout it. And at the end, I'll just give like a couple points of um, highlight in there and then like some application. And then we'll be able to hang out for us for evening. So let's pray first, and then we'll read through God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the instruction that it provides for us. I pray that it would illumine our understanding of you. I pray that it would increase our joy and our love and our affection for you and for those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. This is John the Baptist, not the author of this gospel. So Pharisees hear about Jesus and his ministry and how he's baptizing and making more disciples than John the Baptist. John the Baptist, in who, we, who we've uh, seen and heard about multiple times throughout this gospel, was the forerunner of Jesus. And he, a lot of people were being converted to what John the Baptist was saying. And so he was gaining a big following. So the Pharisees are learning that Jesus is actually gaining a bigger following. And so being the religious leaders that they are, they want to see what's up. And so Jesus, knowing that's not his time yet, he decides to leave Judea and depart again for Galilee. He came down for the Passover feast, and now he's going back 
up to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. This is an interesting note that he had to pass through Samaria. He didn't have to actually do that. But as we'll see later on, he's going to meet this woman at the well. And this is a divine action. He goes out of his way actually to meet her and to have a conversation with her. And John records this for us because, again, it's to the purpose of the letter. That we would know that he's the son of God and that by believing in him we would have eternal life. So it's a significant thing. So let's keep reading. He passed through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So this is like noon. It's like one of the hottest times of the day. Jesus is tired from his travel. His disciples go and get food. And there's a woman who comes to him. And again, we'll read that. A woman who comes alone. It's t- it was typical for women to actually come to the well together in groups. But this woman is found coming alone. There will be more significance about that to come. She, came, she comes to draw water. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Pretty simple. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, here's where we get some interesting things going on. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So Samaritans, and this is why John adds the note, and Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He was on a mission to go talk to a Samaritan woman. As you can see from this conversation, in the beginning of this conversation, one, she's a Samaritan, and Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. Samaritans, their history, they're like half-breeds. They're not like real uh, Jews. They're, back in their ancestry, they intermingled with other people and they kind of took on some of their false worship. And so it's like, you know, I, my mind keeps going to Harry Potter. It's like they're, they're like half-breeds, you know, like, you know, uh, what's the guy? Malfoy, he'd be like all over them. He'd be like a Jew in this situation. He'd be like, oh, you're not actually a pure wizard or whatever. I know. Sorry, I'm getting super nerdy for people who don't watch Harry Potter. Everyone's got to watch Harry Potter here probably, right? Maybe. Who knows? Anyways, they're like half-bloods. They're like half-Jews, half-something else. And so Jews didn't really like them. And then on top of that, she's a woman. And in this time period, and really, I mean, it's not just this time period, but it's in different cultures and places around the world even today, women were not viewed as very highly. It was like, it was, even, it was a bad thing for Jesus to even be talking to a woman in broad daylight. And as, again, as we read on, you'll see the, the, you'll see the evidence of this kind of appear when the disciples come back and different things. And of course, with her response here. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So what's Jesus doing here? As we go on, we'll figure it out. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So let's keep in mind too here, that's why I mentioned the conversation with Nicodemus. The conversation with Nicodemus, he's talking about being born again. And Nicodemus is like, you mean being born from my mother's womb a second time? So it's like, they're just not quite getting it. And sometimes we don't quite get it. 
But that's why John, in this gospel, he explains it to us. He helps us. He gives us these stories to understand. The same thing with this woman. She's like not, she's not getting it. She's like eternal life, living waters. Like, what are you talking about? You, you, don't have a, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get the water out of this deep well? And so Jesus says to her in verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to her, as we all would, sir, give me this, give me this water. If I never have to be thirsty again, she even says, if I never have to come and draw water from here again, he says, that, she's like, that will be great. Give me this water. And again, she's not quite getting it. Jesus said to her, now this is like, whoa. He says, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's like, wow, you just like expose me. You know me somehow, and you must be a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. She changed the subject. She's like, I, I'm not interested in talking about my sex life with you, guy, stranger. So I'm going to go back to the worship thing. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought, where people ought to worship. So a little behind the scenes of this, like why she's saying this, some, to go back to the Samaritans and the, and the Jew thing, the Jews worshiped in Judea, uh, Judea, where like the real temple was. Samaritans, who didn't intermingle with Jews, had their own temple, and it was here. She was talking about it. So they like, we have our temple, you have your temple, we'll stay here, you guys stay there, and they kind of like thought about it, like who's got the real temple? And so she asks Jesus this. And Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And this is where I think Jesus says, like, that, that is actually the place where you, where you should be worshiping. At that time, it's like that was the salvation. And he says salvation is from the Jews. Salvation comes from the line of the Jews. And so at that point, Jesus is kind of just like, actually... That is definitely the place where you should be. But he says in verse 23, the hour is coming and now and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We'll talk about this. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. So she has some good spiritual well, not spiritual, but she has some good theology. So she kind of knows some things about the Messiah, the Jewish religion, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. She says, when he comes, he will tell us all things. So she's like, I know you're, you're saying these things, and, I'm, and, and I know they're coming. And when the Messiah does come, then he'll tell me all these things. And that's when Jesus reveals his identity. This is a big part in John's gospel. He says, I who speak to you am he. He says, I am which is how God revealed himself in the Old Testament as Yahweh, the great I am. And so Jesus reveals himself to her as that. And then his disciples come back and they marveled. This is, again, this aspect of like the, um, the barriers of the woman, the Samaritan, uh, her, her immorality even with her husbands. The disciples come back and they marvel that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, they didn't dare speak question Jesus uh, what do you seek or the woman what do you seek or why are you talking with her so the woman left her jar 
and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food that I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? He obviously hasn't eaten anything, so what is he talking about? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And then here's like a good summary to that story after Jesus has this little conversation with his disciples. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I had ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. And so there's a lot going on there. A whole lot, like some offensive stuff, some like weird stuff. And so what I hope to do is to make some sense of that. And I think there's the big summary sentence of this, of these first 42 verses is Jesus seeks out a foreigner, an outsider, this woman, to display that the living water he richly provides is for all people without distinction and for the purpose of our rejoicing through the worship of God. And so all that's like, what in the world are you even talking about? So in other words, the Father is seeking people to worship him and it might not be people you'd expect. That's even what the verse says in verse uh, 23. Jesus tells her, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is seeking such outsiders and foreigners to worship him. You can contrast that with Nicodemus. He's seeking all kinds of people to worship him. He's seeking religious leaders like Nicodemus. But there's something different about this woman that Jesus and that John, the author of this gospel, wants us to see. That even outsiders, Jesus is going out of his way to communicate with, to know them, to love them, and to uh, open it, invite them into his fellowship and his presence. And so the stage is set with this woman. She's, uh, there's, there's three different big like barriers here in this story. And, and by barriers, I mean just like things that seem like they would keep people away from God. Things that seem like they would keep this woman away from God's reach and God's love and God's care. The three things are, as you've kind of seen already, she's a woman who in this time men didn't talk to. Uh, she's a Samaritan with that bickering back and forth. And then the third thing is the, the uh, immoralness of her. And, and, the, uh, and scholars will disagree as to, far as, as to how we're supposed to really view this woman. Are we supposed to feel like, wow, she's really like, icky and we shouldn't really like it's kind of like she's in the wrong here or is it more like in order for people in order for her to even be have five husbands the the man would have to um would have to initiate the divorce process so it's like she's a victim here or she like the problem and i don't think either one of those things matter honestly i just think john is bringing this story to us 
to show us the distance that this woman seems to be from saving. The distance that this woman seems to be from having a relationship with God or being one with which God would even want a relationship with. And so I think that's the point of this story. And so in in my reflection of this passage, I'm thinking about us in our context. It's like, who is an outsider to us? Like who, if they were to walk in here and sit among us, would we be like kind of uneasy to talk to? That would be like the situation with this woman. So it's like, as we are reflecting and hearing this passage, it's like we want to be aware that Jesus is seeking people to worship him. He's going out of his way, going through Samaria that he didn't have to do, to seek and to find people who worship the Father. And so let's just be thinking about that. Who's an outsider to you? And as I'm thinking about it, it's like, okay, maybe politically different than you, maybe people with like strong, strong religious convictions that are different than yours, maybe people who are financially different than you, maybe look different than, differently than you, whatever it may be, but we need to be aware that Jesus is seeking such people to worship him. And maybe you feel like you are an outsider. So that's like an, another way we can look at this passage and learn from this is maybe you think you're like the outsider. You think you're like, the woman, and not in the sense of all her, her a plethora of things she's got going on, but in your own way. Maybe you think you've gone too far. Maybe you think you're too, too far, or there's too many barriers that you can get to God with. And so John is laying this story before us to show you that it's those kinds of people that Jesus is seeking, seeking out, going to know, to love, and to, and to be known. And so these are like the barriers that John sets up, and he wants to dissolve all of them with this story and with this woman. And so the next, uh, Jesus, Jesus in going to that woman wants her to feel seen, and I think John is doing this with his gospel. He wants you to feel seen, he wants you to feel known, and he wants you to feel loved like this woman. He's going out of his way to see her, to know her, and to love her and invite her in to this fellowship. And there will be more on this fellowship and this worship aspect later. I, I oftentimes when I read something that's like J- Jesus or, or the Father is seeking people to worship him. It's like, I feel like people who aren't familiar with Christian language are like, that seems a little egotistical. And so I, by the end of this, I'm going to have a word on worship and what he actually means by that. That is not so off-putting. And so maybe that's you. If you don't think it's off-putting, then just forget about it and just enjoy what I, what I go to explain later. But that's just a kind of brief pause for what's coming to come later. So what it, what's the offer? What is Jesus actually offering this woman? Okay, so he's going out of his way to see her. What is he actually offering to her? And we see that he said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. He's saying, if you, would have, if you know who's talking to you right now, the Messiah, you would have asked him, asked me, and I would have given you living water. The woman doesn't understand. He says to her again, everyone who drinks of this water, the water from this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him a, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what's the offer? The offer is living water. A spring that is, comes from within and satisfies our every longing and need. So this, this water, this living water is satisfying 
It's deep. It's a deep well, like even like she describes here, this well, and it's eternal. And so I'm going to go through those briefly. First one is satisfying. So another question in reflection of this passage, this passage um, kind of pulls out of us, what are we thirsty for? Are you thirsty? Like what, what is it that we want? What is it that we're after? The, gosp- the gospels are constantly, and Jesus is constantly saying, what are you after? What are you about? Jesus said that to, his, to the early disciples in the beginning of this letter. What are you about? What do you want? What are you after? In seeking after me, what, are you, what do you actually want? And so this text is saying, what are we thirsty for? Maybe we're thirsty for or wanting different circumstances. Maybe we're not happy with where we're at. Maybe we want approval. Maybe we want pleasure. Maybe we just want community. They don't have to be bad things. Maybe we just want community. Maybe we want hope. Maybe we want real purpose. Maybe we want to climb up the ranks in our job. Maybe we want to get a job. Maybe we want to have a career, have a family. Whatever it is that we're wanting, Jesus is offering living water that will satisfy uh, and it will be deep, a rich, rich well, and it will be eternal. And so, and as we'll see in the last point that I want to talk about, these might not necessarily be at odds. These things that you want and the things that actually you receive from a relationship with Christ may not be actually at odds. So it's satisfying. It's going to satisfy your, it's going to satisfy all those longings for, because we were actually created for God. We were created to worship God. Therefore, having that living water and becoming a true worshiper is what we it will satisfy those inner longings. Um, John Piper says that, he makes an interesting note here, that the living water will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The, the living water that Jesus is actually, metaphorically speaking about, is the Holy Spirit. And so when we believe, when we ask Jesus, it really is that simple. It's kind of unfathomable to think, and again, I'll, I'll talk about like the, the glories and the joy and the life that comes from a relationship and having that spring welling up inside of you. But all you have to do is ask him to receive that spirit and then that spirit will come into you. And what Piper says about this is that it's in you and it's satisfying. It's not like you have to go somewhere to get it and to be satisfied again. There is satisfaction to be had, but it's within you. It's the spirit within you. You just have to go back to that well through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit, showing you and highlighting to you who Jesus is and through that relationship with Jesus is how you're filled and how you become content in your circumstances, how you have a, ho- a hope and purpose and all those different things. And again, we'll talk more about those. It's deep. I already mentioned that. This, and then this kind of um, earlier in the gospel, we see that the spirit of God, the spirit um, came down like a dove on Jesus at his baptism and it remained on him. That remaining is like so he can give without measure. He can just give the spirit that's what in, in earlier in our, um, in our text it says Jesus didn't baptize anyone. It's kind of because he's like, John wants to kind of keep baptism like a pure thing for Jesus. And I think the Gospels do this. It's like he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's not about physical baptisms. He's about spiritual baptisms. And so that's just kind of just an aside. You probably didn't need that information, but there you go. You have it. But Jesus, the Spirit remains on him. So now he's free to give abundantly to supply abundantly to us the spirit that wells up within us, satisfies our longings as we look upon Jesus. And so it's deep, 
it's a never-ending reservoir, and it's eternal. This, this kind of uh, satisfying living water that the Spirit brings never runs out, and it will always be with you for all eternity. And so now as I'm going to transition into like the result of having that living water. So I've kind of already talked about it, and I've been saying, hey, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Now's when I'll get to it. But this eternal life, this, e- this joy, purpose, this, these are results of having that living water within you, that spirit that lives within you. So the result or the product of that living water is a life of worship. And that's what Jesus is ultimately after. And that's what the summary sentence is about. The living water that Jesus richly provides for all people without distinction, no matter the barriers that may be set, for our rejoicing through the worship of God. So the result of this living water that wells up within us, the Holy Spirit, it's a life of worship. And so this life of worship is both within ourselves, we experience this individually, and it's also we experience this in community. So it's within us, and it's also without us. It's outside of us as well. And Jesus describes this as this true worship. People who come to him and have this living water will worship in spirit and in truth. And so that's like spirit and truth can be kind of summed up in all people everywhere worshiping Jesus through his spirit. So it's, you know, there's no, and that's what Jesus tells her there. It's like, soon you're not going to have to go to this, your temple or the the temple in uh, Jerusalem. You're going to be able to worship anywhere, anytime, because the spirit will be inside of you. When you believe in me, the spirit will come and remain inside of you and you can worship anytime. So within the individual aspect of true worship uh, will be knowing the work of Jesus. And it's like, Christ, like, it's so great that Christianity is not just some kind of, like, concept or idea, some, like, Gnostic thing. It's like, oh, I've kind of come to this realization and I understand it. You just have to understand what I understand and then you can, then you can kind of, like, figure it out. It's like Christianity is centered around a person. And so it's like when we experience Christianity, when we worship God, we are worshiping the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're worshiping a person. And so when we're trying to, when the spirit is welling up inside of us and showing us the joy, the hope, the peace, the comfort, and all of our different circumstances and trials, we have a person to look at and see that result and that fruit in. Does that make sense? When we become Christians, we have a relationship with the very person who experiences joy, the ultimate joy, lasting joy, not like temporary joy like in this earth, lasting joy real love and fellowship and communion. And so this is like that individual true worship that we experience with God. And again, that why I want to, this is why I said earlier about the um, egotistical thing of, of worship. Maybe you don't think that, but it's, it's not egotistical for someone to want to worship. If Jesus is saying, worship me, that's not egotistical. That's actually worship me, so you'll be happy. So your needs and your desires will be satisfied, ultimately satisfied. I created you. I know what you need. I know what you want. And so therefore, when you worship me, when you serve me, when you honor me, you will get the enjoyment and the satisfaction, the deep well, eternal life. And so that's how those kind of things aren't butting up against each other, but they're actually um, cohesive. So it's not some idea or concept. We, ha- we get a new identity. We get real purpose. And this, this, uh, it's not just truth. That Jesus is who he is, who he says he is. He is the Messiah. It's also a spiritual 
of spiritual worship. It's one that's like, we don't belong to this realm. Again, I'm now going to get like another Christ, Christian-like language here. It's like we are citizens of heaven. We are kind of just passing through this physical earth, and it will get remade new, new creation, all of those different things. And with that, we get new identities in that um, spiritual um, new creation. So it's spirit and it's truth. And so that's within, that's within us. That's something we experience within us. And then now we get to share that with others around us. So it's within us and without. And the first thing is fellowship with others. So this is how we really experience love, joy, fellowship, not only with God individually, but also with those around us. People in here, who, you're a Christian. You can enjoy that fellowship and experience now, although marred, obviously, on this earth. But one day it will be perfect so we have fellowship with others, uh, and then also we see here a big invitation to go and share that with others who aren't um, worshiping God yet. Jesus is seeking people to worship him, and he shows us, and he shows that when he teaches his disciples to go and do likewise, he says, look around you, look up. And so the encouragement to us tonight is look up, see the harvest, see the white harvest that is plentiful and ready to be reaped. And this is where the joy kind of aspect comes in. This is why I said in rejoicing through worshiping God. Because Jesus says that the sower and the reaper, if you're sowing seeds in coworkers' lives or in friends' lives, you're sowing seeds, you may, not, you may not be able to reap the produce of that, but someone else might. Or you might be a reaper and you, and you reap the produce of someone else's hard work in sowing seeds of faith. And so Jesus is like, you get joy from reaping, you get joy from sowing, and then we all get joy when we all come to know Jesus in spirit and in truth. Again, going back to the true purpose, real love, real fellowship, real community, real satisfaction from following him and from having the spirit dwelling inside of you. And so we all get joy and peace and hope from that. And so Jesus, again, we want to go back to this, the reason John is writing this letter so that we would know that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And that by believing in his name, we would have eternal life. And I would argue, um, have great, great, great joy in doing so. And so if you want to talk more about that or whatever, you can hang around. I'll, you know, he and Herb will be around. Um, the opportunity is there to ask questions or whatever, comments, concerns, whatever you will but i'll pray and then we can be all done we have um, snacks we have games hope you hang out fellowship and talk about the text if you want with one another and encourage one another all right let's pray father thank you that you are seeking people to worship you outsider or not you are seeking people to worship you and i pray lord that you would Reveal yourself to us. I pray that you would help us to be true worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray that we would enjoy that fellowship and that communion with you and with one another. And I pray that we would have a, a longing for others to come to know you and enjoy that same fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.